The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. What would you do if everything went wrong? I mean everything. Finances, relationships, your work, your, uh, your body, your health, everything. What if everything, everywhere, all at once in your life went wrong? Uh, now, you may be listening and saying, what do you mean, what if? I already know. I'm already going through that. Well, then I hope the conversation we're going to have today would actually be helpful to you. But probably most of us never have actually been in a situation where literally everything went wrong. Now, there are times when lots of things go wrong. Uh, this is something that's in the Bible, a very uh, transparent truth that God speaks to. Things are going to go badly. The Bible is not doesn't pretend like, ah, you don't need to worry about it. Things are going to be fine. Jesus loves you. God loves you. It's all good. Don't worry about it. That's not the way the Bible talks. The Bible really, from cover to cover, speaks of difficulty, of trial, of tests, and gives resource for how to handle it. The story of the life of David in particular helps with this. But I want to pause for just a second and I want you to think about it for real. So back it up off of the what if everything goes wrong. But what about when things go wrong? Maybe a lot of things go wrong. Where do you turn? What do you do? How do you respond? You know, I think it's it's fair to say that most people, most of the time, when things go wrong, run around looking for some sort of anchor, some sort of uh, security, some sort of thing I can grab onto, some sort of center of gravity that keeps me from getting pulled in every direction by whatever difficulties I'm facing. So for some people, that's money. Hey, I'm in trouble, and of course, what money solves all problems. So let me get more money. That'll protect me in this difficulty. Or at least it'll give me something that I can fall back on or look to to measure the worth of my life as I count my money. Um, some people, it's knowledge, wisdom, information. I'm in trouble. Maybe I'll just read a bunch of books, you know, relationship books, um, self-help books, maybe just ancient classics of, of, of whatever, of various cultures so that I can broaden my horizon, broaden my perspective, and that will help me navigate these difficulties that I'm facing. Uh, maybe other people, it's relationships. I'm going to pile up friendships. I'm going to do a lot of activities. Maybe it's romantic relationships. Maybe it's even sexual relationships. And, or maybe it's not relationships because maybe I feel too dried out to invest myself emotionally in that way. But I'm going to pursue sexual satisfaction, whether that's through hookups or through um, uh, media, whatever it may be. I'm going to find ways to pleasure myself sexually. Or maybe pleasure myself with uh, substances, alcohol, drugs, things of that nature. This is the thing that I'm kind of always working for I'm always looking for it's an escape hatch from all the difficulties that I'm facing all the things that I'm going through I've got this to get me through uh, for some people it's achievement accomplishment so in their workplace or maybe in whatever hobbies they're invested in I'm gonna be the best I'm gonna rise the ranks I'm gonna become and that's gonna be the thing that's my center that's gonna be the thing that anchors me that's gonna be the thing that grounds me and that gets me through the difficulties that I'm facing Really, what that, what that amounts to, whatever that thing is that you turn to when you're in trouble, what that amounts to is what you think is a, a, a sense of purpose. We know as human beings, it's because God made us this way, that things aren't supposed to be broken and busted up and wrong and upside down the way they get sometimes. And so we 
kind of grasp at, all right, what's the meaning of this? What's the purpose of this? Of this being life in general. And I got to grab on to something that will make my life have meaning because I don't want the meaning of my life to be, well, you're going to get beat up a lot. You're going to have a lot of trouble and that's the end of the story. No, 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 no. It can't be that. It can't be that. It's got to be something different. It's got to be something better, something higher. And so we turn to these things to find meaning in our life, to find uh, some sort of resolution to the difficulties that we face. Like I said, the life of David is very instructive for us when it comes to uh, what you're supposed to do or what you do when things go wrong. Uh, For a while, everything went right for David. I mean, he gets chosen by God to be king. He defeats the giant of the enemy Philistine army, delivering the Israelites, bringing them great battles, such that whenever he returned home with the army, the women came out of the streets singing a song that included the line, David has slain his ten thousands, meaning all the enemies that David fights, they've been vanquished. I mean, so uh, you're the heir to the throne by God's choosing, by the way. You're a mighty warrior in... You did it by faith in this almost, well, not almost, a miraculous sort of way. Um, besides that, you're in with the royal court of the king presently because you're working for him personally, and his son Jonathan is your best friend. Everything's going right for David. But then everything started going wrong. Saul became jealous of David. That same song that said, David has slain his tens of thousands, started with, Saul has slain his thousands. Saul knew that he had lost the kingdom and he was losing it to this kid, David. He couldn't stand the thought of that. He tries to kill David on multiple occasions himself while David's playing music to soothe Saul for the evil spirit that Saul has because of his sins. Saul tries to murder David, throwing a spear that ends up sticking in the wall and David escapes. By the way, David didn't even abandon his post then, which is wild to me that he stayed faithful through that uh, to his king. But anyways, um, part of the deal of defeating Goliath was that David was supposed to marry into the king's family. But it ended up the girl that he was supposed to marry got given away to another man. And then the other daughter of the king that David was supposed to marry, before he could do that, he had to go on a special covert ops mission, special ops mission, to kill a bunch of Philistines and bring back physical evidence, physical proof of it. Pretty clearly a job that the king gave David because he thought David would die in battle. This is not great. Not a great workplace environment. How about that? Let's just go right there. Things were not great in David's workplace environment. They weren't great in his home either. Because after he married the king's daughter, it's not like Saul gave up on his jealousy and was fine with David. One night, he actually sent, the text says, messengers in 1 Samuel 19. Uh, From my reading of the story, they weren't messengers like postmen. They were assassins. And their message was, you're dead meat. They came to try to kill David. He escapes out the window with his wife's help, and he's in the wind on the run. Uh, By the way, what do you think that would have been like? The emotional stress and trauma of running away from your young wife who's all alone, not knowing what her dad's going to do to her since she helped you in your uh, fugitive status. Besides his relationship at home with his wife and his relationship with his father-in-law, David was about to lose his best friend. He ends up telling Jonathan what was going on. Hey, your dad's on the warpath. He's trying to kill me. He hates who I am and what I am and how God's using me. Jonathan, no, 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 that's not true. Don't worry about it. My dad would have told me he didn't say anything about this. Trust me, it's going to be fine. David says, I don't know, man, I don't think so. Jonathan goes and inquires, and he ends up finding out that it's true. 
Saul was going to kill David. Uh, and so Jonathan and David have a tearful goodbye, and David goes off into the wilderness all alone. I guess we could say besides having workplace problems, essentially getting fired from his job, he's all alone. It's not even He doesn't even have relationships at this point to have relationship problems. That's where he is. Lonely, abandoned, with no resources at his disposal, with the entire national army coming after him. Doesn't really look like God's promises are coming true, by the way, of David becoming king and God always being with him and all that kind of stuff. I wonder, did David, had he already written, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and all that stuff? Was that later? I don't know, because right now it didn't really look like God was taking very much care of him. Everything had gone wrong. What does David do? I'd love to tell you that the next scene is David bravely and faithfully carries on and does great deeds. And frankly, he does later. But in 1 Samuel 21, you'll find uh, an outline of of some of the worst kinds of choices that you could possibly make. Uh, He goes to the priest, which you're saying, hey, that's pretty good. Go to a priest. He should be able to help you out and, and give you wisdom and counsel and advice. And he could have. There may be an indication in 1 Samuel 22 that that David actually sought out God through the priest. It's a little hard to tell. But I'll say this. In the way the story is told in 1 Samuel 21, he doesn't ask for advice from a spiritual counselor. He doesn't even ask for prayer or anything like that. He says, uh, hey, do you have any bread? He wants some food, sustenance, something, some tangible thing to provide for his needs. The priest says, well, we have bread, but it's it's the bread of the presence, which really only the priests are supposed to eat according to the law. They end up working out an arrangement for that. It's a little difficult to say how exactly we should think about David in this moment. I'll say this. Jesus' one comment on what David did is that what he did was unlawful against God's direction. That's not great. Now, in the course of this, uh, David's having to kind of explain what's going on. Why aren't you just getting food from, I don't know, the palace or whatever. David, you're the king's royal guard. You're his main guy. Why can't you just get it there? And David says, oh, I'm on a special mission from the king. Uh Uh-oh. Not only is he relying on physical sustenance, breaking God's law to get through his troubles, he's lying. This ain't true. It's not accurate that he's on a special mission from the king. He's running away from the king. He's trying to kill him. Beyond that, David realizes he doesn't have a weapon on him. And so he says to the priest, hey, you got any swords on hand? And then it's almost like David realizes, oh, this sounds bad. I was sent on a special mission. Uh, the king's matter was so urgent, I had to run away without my sword. You can almost tell, it seems like the priest may be a little suspicious. I'm not sure. There's nothing in the text that says that. Maybe it's just me projecting my own thoughts on that. But anyways, the priest says, well, we have the sword of Goliath. You know, the guy that you killed in the battlefield, David? It's behind the ephod. Now, the ephod, the reason why it's special, the ephod is what was used to inquire of God in that time. If you were going to pray to God, if you were going to seek God's counsel, you would use the ephod. David says, there's none like it. Give it to me. Instead of taking a moment to say, you know what, I should pray. Instead of remembering the times of faith back when he was on that battlefield with Goliath, whenever he defeated... David says there's none like it, and he grabs the sword. The sword, by the way, whose last owner had trusted in that power of that sword and had been defeated and had his head cut off with that very same sword, David grabs that sword and says, this is what I need. 
He then runs off to the Philistines. Now understand, running off to the Philistines isn't just, oh, you defected from your country and you should stay with your country. No, no. To go to the Philistines would have signaled, at least to some, more than just an um, entrance into their nation. It would have at least, in some respects, indicated some sort of uh, connection with them. Maybe even trust in their God, allegiance to their God. I'm going to come find refuge in you guys. They knew who David was. Matter of fact, whenever he came, the other soldiers who were in the King Achish or Abimelech, depending on uh, where you read it, Abimelech's kind of the title. Achish was the name like Pharaoh or Caesar. That's Abimelech. And then Achish was the proper name of the king of the Philistines in that place. And uh, they say, hey, uh, isn't this guy the one they, the girls sing the songs about, how he's defeating our army? You really want him with us? They knew. David had fought for and with Yahweh in Israel. But now he's coming to the Philistines who are led by Dagon and all the other gods. What's going on here? And then you think, ah, now's the moment where David, he's in their palace and he whips out the sword and he prays to God and he defeats. No. He hears what they're doing and he becomes afraid. And he starts drooling. He starts scratching on the doors. So much so that the king looks at him and says, this man's a crazy person. I don't need more of those, do I? Get him out of here. Now David literally hits rock bottom at this point. The beginning of 1 Samuel 22 says that David found himself in the cave of Adullam. And there was this ragtag bunch of people who are, the text says, are distressed and in debt and dispirited. Maybe to borrow a phrase from something Jesus would say, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They needed some help. And here David is. I wonder what all went through David's heart and head. And, and thankfully, we don't have to wonder very much because there's actually a text in the scripture that tells us the reflections David had. But I want to take a quick time out right here and just point out that David does all the bad things that we tend to do whenever we're in trouble, when everything goes wrong. He turned inward. He didn't look to God. He didn't even reach out for help from those who could advise him, counsel him. He doesn't go to the prophet Samuel. He doesn't ask the priest at Nob for help. He just turned inward. Do you ever do that when everything goes wrong? You turn inward. You come up with your own answers, your own solutions. He sinned. I mean, I don't know any way other than to slice it. I don't want to beat him up because the truth is he's a man after God's own heart. I don't think this is something we should be like, oh, he just totally lost his way. No, but he sinned, okay? He lied on multi in multiple occasions in multiple ways. He violates God's law when it comes to the bread. He just did things that were wrong. And even if you want to quibble with a couple of pieces of that, in totality, he's not directed toward God. He's walking in darkness right now. And no wonder he gets confused and frustrated and overwhelmed. He thinks there are things that will solve his problem that don't. I mean, the sword isn't inherently sinful. And, you know, still going with the comments I made earlier about the significance of going to the Philistines, it wasn't necessarily sinful for him to go to the Philistines. But are the Philistines really going to be able to help? I mean, is that going to change anything? They're actually a part of the problem in David's life, not the solution. He turned inward. He carried out sin. And he looked for help in places that were ultimately incapable of providing him the help. Remember what we said earlier, what a lot of times we turn to? The things we try to use as anchors, the things we try to grab hold of and say, this will give my life meaning, this will give my life strength, this will move me forward. David did the same thing until he didn't. 
There in that cave, David wrote one of the Psalms, Psalm 34. If you read it in your Bible, you'll notice at the top there's a little uh, little prelude superscript. This is a Psalm of David when he pretended to be insane in the presence of Abimelech who drove him out and he departed. So this is after David departs. Listen to what he thinks about what he says. I will bless the Lord at all times. Or yours may say, I will give praise to the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Come, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The rest of the psalm kind of outlines how to do that. The kind of trust that it takes to bless and praise the Lord. Seeking out the Lord rather than seeking strength from other sources. The kind of character that it takes. David, by the way, specifically retraces the steps that he took in 1 Samuel 21 and says, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, He exhorts his hearers, probably that group of people that came to him in the cave, I would imagine. He says, come my children, I will teach you the fear of the Lord in this very psalm. And in that, he says, hey, here's how to fear the Lord. Here's how to bless the Lord. Here's how to praise the Lord. Here's how to honor and magnify God at all times, even in your difficulties. Keep your lips from evil and from speaking deceit. You think that was important to David? He realized, you know what? I turned to a lie. I turned to this sinful choice to deliver me from my troubles, but it didn't deliver me. It just created more troubles. He says, uh, seek peace and pursue it. David wasn't really seeking peace when he grabbed that sword. Uh, He wasn't really pursuing the right kind of paths that God had given him. He's kind of running away from it. He had turned inward. He started living in sin. And he sought out refuge in sources that didn't have any real strength. But now, he says, no more. A couple things here. Number one, we need to learn this lesson. I'll come back to that in a second. But I'll say number two, before we go back to number one, isn't it great that even whenever you mess up in your trials, God's not done with you. God doesn't say, hey, you're you're done. I gave you a test. You failed it. You're out of the program. See you later. That's not how it works with God. David comes back. He repents. He changes. He realizes, no, Everything has gone wrong, but God's still there. And he's still there wanting me to come back to him. And the coming back here is to find purpose even through our difficulties when everything goes wrong. What does David say he'll do at all times? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. Whatever happens... I'm going to boast in the Lord. And those who are humble, those who are in trouble, those who are going through difficulties, those for whom everything has gone wrong in their life, they'll hear about God's goodness and they'll say, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't keep turning inward to try to find the answers and the solutions. Maybe I shouldn't live in that sinful path that I thought was going to bail me out and was an escape hatch. Maybe I shouldn't go try to find strength in money or career or relationships. Those things are fine in their proper place, but they're not going to save you. David says those who seek the Lord he will save them. The young lions, David says in this psalm, they often suffer hunger and and lack what they need, but those who trust in the Lord will never lack any good thing. Now here's the best part about this psalm and this story and this lesson that you've got to keep turning back to God. Devote yourself to Him. Don't look inward. Look upward to God. Don't walk in the paths of sin. Walk in His paths of righteousness even when they lead you through the valley of the shadow of death.
Don't fear any evil. Know that he's with you and walk the path of righteousness. And don't turn to those sources of strength that are ultimately faulty, but remember that the Lord is your shepherd, that he's the one who gives strength. He's the one who is that anchor point, that center of gravity, the thing that can get you through. Don't let the other stuff become the center of your life whenever things go wrong. Keep God at the center of it. Now, you may say, that's foolishness, man. That's foolishness. Because I've been trusting God. I've been praying. I've been trying to be faithful to God and holy and all the stuff. that It didn't work, though. It's not working for me. Well, I'll tell you one time when it really worked. And it's prophesied about here in this very psalm, Psalm 34. At the end of the psalm, David has a curious statement. It's in verse 19 and 20. The one who is righteous has many adversities. But the Lord rescues him from them all. And then listen to this. He, that is God, protects all his bones, the bones of the one who's in trouble. Not one of them is broken. That's poetic, David. I can get beat up. I can get bruised. I can get bloodied. But the structural integrity of my life, my bones, God's going to protect that. God's going to take care of me. All right, so that's cool. But David, you haven't been through what I've been through. You haven't seen what I've seen. I know you've seen a lot, but you haven't. Everything's going wrong for me. I can't. I have to turn inward. I have to use that escape hatch of living a sinful life to soothe myself or just get through. I have to go to these other sources of strength to see if they'll work because it doesn't seem like God is working. And David looks at us and he says, yeah, verse 28, that ain't about me. And it's not just poetry either. Centuries later, the son of David, Jesus of Nazareth, would be beaten, bruised, and bloodied. Everything went wrong. Everyone abandoned him. Everyone hated him. He was stripped naked, mocked, ripped to shreds, and hung up on a cross. And customarily, those who were hung on crosses would have their legs broken. The way to survive while you were on the cross and the natural impulse while you are on the cross was to use your legs to push your body up so that you could catch a breath and then your body would sag again and then you push up to catch a breath and then your body would sag again. In order to expedite the death process, Roman soldiers would basically club the legs of the people that were there eventually after the uh, spectatorship had been complete with with the crucifixion. And once those legs were broken, you'd suffocate. That's how you would die on the cross, is through suffocation, not being able to push yourself up to catch that breath. When they came to Jesus and they were preparing to break his legs, they realized he already passed. He'd given in, or been taken, maybe a better way to say it. And so not one of his bones was broken. Now that's sweet and all. But the reason why that's important for us, we know what happened next. Those unbroken bones were laid in a tomb. And it seemed like literally everything had gone wrong because he was gone now. He was dead. It was over. But it wasn't. On the third day, he rose again. And he, by his never-ending life, Jesus made his boast in the Father. 
his praise was and is continually in the mouth of Jesus and all those who follow after Jesus who believe fully that even when everything goes wrong, God is the one who gets you through. Don't give up on God. And if you're in the middle of your trials right now and you never give God a chance, turn to him. Be one of those people in the cave that David says, come here, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Come magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Don't turn to those other things, other sources of so-called strength. Don't turn inward. Don't turn to sin. Turn to God when everything goes wrong, and he'll make it right for you. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.